the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, Lord, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping of the honeycomb. Lord, bless us with your word. Fill our souls with truth. Conform us into the image of Christ. Chisel away everything in us that does not speak to the glory of God. We submit our hearts and our minds and our souls unto you and unto you alone. And we pray, God, that you would do a miracle in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody say Amen. We family this morning, so I decided to open up this sermon with a bit of honesty, a bit of transparency in the hope that you all would not judge me. But whenever I get a chance, I love to go to the movies. I, I love to go to the movies. Often, Ken Berry would say, man, when did you go see that movie? Uh, every now and again, I get an opportunity to slip away and go to the show. But you can imagine with three children, it's very hard to uh, take your spouse to the show with you um, because I found out very quickly that children do not sit still in the theater, especially a nine-month. So whenever me and Paige get a babysitter, it's, it's dinner in a movie. In fact, when we were in Key West, I told her, I wonder if there is a show uh, or a theater or a theater around here. Uh, and she looked at me and said, you are on an island and you want to go to the movies. I said, you got that right. You, 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 that, that communication of 10 years is clear. You, you, you are interpreting me correctly. Uh, but the greatest thing that a theater, everything is, is, is create an IMAX. In an IMAX theater, everything is bigger and better and louder. There's, there's just something about IMAX that, that takes your breath away and captures your attention on a whole nother level. It's just that much greater. There's something about IMAX, and once you go IMAX, you, you can't go back. It's like, I know I got to pay the little extra, but I just can't go to the standard show any longer. I but the clarity, and if I can get it in 3D, that's all the better. But the clarity and the quality is worth it. The whole point of IMAX is the large projection in high quality to display the entertainment in, in, in art that, that is on the screen. You got it, church. The whole point of IMAX is to publicly display the work and art of entertainment. The IMAX was created to take your breath away, to enhance the quality of art. But however, this morning, church, I did not come to boast about man-made IMAX this morning, but to boast about a God-made IMAX. In fact, we live in it every day. God's IMAX. We are in God's theater 24-7, sometimes without even knowing it. Today we will talk about what theologians call general revelation. Everybody say that, general revelation. All that simply means is the revelation of God in nature. 
God revealing himself through nature is all general revelation is. God has created an IMAX of his own that would give a large projection and high quality display of his glory. God made creation the same reason man made IMAX. He wants our breath to be taken away and our souls reminded and satisfied by the greatness of who he is as we marvel at the greatness of his power showcased in creation. This morning, I want to call your attention to this IMAX screen called creation. My hope is that we would have our senses awaken once again so that we may hear and see, touch, taste the greatness of God again through creation. I do want to point out that this morning I will not be dealing with special revelation. And all that is, is God's revelation through his word. God reveals himself in two ways. He reveals himself through general revelation, which we'll be talking about, which is creation. And he also reveals himself more sufficiently through the scriptures, which is the Bible. But this morning we are going to focus in on creation. So if you would turn your attention to Psalms 19. And it reads, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voices is not heard. Their voices go out through all the earth in their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent. For the Son. Psalm 19 contains profound and moving statements of the doctrine of divine revelation. If you listen closely as you read it, you can almost hear the avalanche of glory coming down to bury you in the greatness of God. It is as if you can hear the voice of the writer beckoning your soul to join him and falling on your face before God to give him. If you are hurried in your soul, you'll miss what this psalm is trying to convey. No matter how big the IMAX screen is, the magnitude, focus on your own circumstance and situations, you would miss the magnitude of what David is trying to convey through this psalm. And I don't want any of us to miss the powerful impact creation can have on our spiritual walk. So if you would slow down and give your undivided attention to the word of God this morning, I believe that God would extend to your soul healing and hope and happiness and humility and new affections for the glory of Christ for those who will receive it. Now today we're going to start with verse 2. Uh, We're going to skip over verse 1, but we're going to come back to verse 1 at the end. And the reason I'm doing that is because I believe that all the verses after verse 1 is there to support verse 1. So all the rest of this is detail, and then at the end we'll get the big picture of what creation is ultimately trying to convey to us. My first point this morning is sky talk. Sky talk. Verses 1 through 2 reads, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What are you talking about? 
The observation is simple here. The sky is talking to us. And some of you guys are freaking out like, all right, we're going to poke on or something here. Not at all. Like my nine months. Understand, according to this verse, the sky is not just babbling like my nine months. Your old daughter, right? The sky is not just babbling. It is spitting out knowledge to us. Now, in the Hebrew text, the language is stronger than the English language. The image is literally of a gushing spring that continually pours forth refreshing waters of revelation. So understand that creation is pouring forth. They have here a knowledge of God. What we have here is that nature is not just speaking, but it is shouting to us. It is screaming to us every day. It is giving us knowledge of our maker. Creation is making known just by existing, it is making known the divine attributes of God. So next time you say, I wonder what God is like. Creation is saying, we've been shouting to you all morning what he's like. When you grabbed your coffee, we were shouting to you. When you walked out of your house, we were shouting to you. When you were on your way to work, we were shouting to you. When you were in the park with your children, we were shouting to you. Creation has been shouting to you since the time you drove to church. Creation was shouting to your soul. Whether you heard it or not is, is on you, but it was shouting. It's kind of like a wife. I, uh, I didn't hear you say that. I've been shouting at you all morning. And you ain't hear what I said? You so, so you just ignoring me, huh? That's how creation feels. So when you look at the sky this morning, the sky was conveying to you that your God is mighty. When you walk past the beautiful flowers in front of your house, Creation was telling you that your God is creative. When snow falls into, in the winter, and I know we're not looking forward to it, but when snow falls into, in, in the winter and every snowflake has its own design, snow is saying there are no limits on your God. Somehow, church, we miss this knowledge every day. When we were flying to Key West this past week, and the plane had reached 36,000 feet, and we're above the clouds. It's almost as if creation wanted to break my window. God is great. God is mighty. Screaming the majesty of God. Bethel Gary, the question is, how do we manage to miss this knowledge at times in our life? Creation is telling us about our maker from the peaceful blue whale to the microscopic viruses. How can we miss it? We are often too busy hurrying off to work, preoccupied with our problems. We are so stressed out about our business, how we're going to get the next customer. We are so worried about how we can stop our boyfriend or girlfriend from cheating on us. We are so consumed with thinking about the next cruise or how to pay our timeshare. They tried to sell me so many timeshares when I was on my vacation. I didn't buy it, but I took that free gift they had to give me. 
I said, I'm going to have to redeem some stuff after this. I said, what'd you say, 90 minutes? I'll give you 90 minutes. It's funny, when they sit you down, they never talk about that interest rate right there. I said, you're not going to talk about that 17% right there, huh? You're just going to just ignore that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, but I ain't mad at trying to make a living. Well, we are so consumed about what tomorrow will bring. Here's the crazy part, church. It is not hard to hear what creation has to say to us. Paul, Paul articulates this in Romans. He says that God has made it plain to us. Listen to this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. See that? Plain to them. Because what? Because God has shown it to them. Oh, God, how have you shown it to us? And what have you shown to us? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have what? Been made. So what? so that we are without excuse. It does not take a rocket science, it does not take rocket science to perceive the knowledge of the sky. You don't have to be an expert in science to understand what the sky is trying to convey to you. Paul says God has put it right in our face. He has put it and he has displayed it on IMAX size screen who he is. And all you have to do is simply look up. You don't have to do an extensive technical investigation to see it. Just look up. Therefore, all of mankind is without excuse. Understand this. The reason why mankind is without excuse is because of creation. Everybody is held accountable. Whether there is a God or not, to me, is a foolish argument. This is why I just can't get down with evolution. I can't get down with the Big Bang Theory, and we all came from a bowl of goop, and we are random evolutionary processes. I tried to take it serious, but I just cannot. When I look at creation, it is laughable to me. What are we arguing about? This is clear there is a God. Clear as day. When I look out at creation, and I look at those who say there is a God, it is almost laughable to me. Here's the crazy part. Understand this. The deeper you dig into creation, the louder its voice becomes. The God. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. However, some of the most brilliant minds, like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, deny there is a God. Why? These men know more about creation than most of us in this room. I mean, these guys are well studied. They know a ton about creation. They know the diameter in, in diameter the system is a part of is about 100,000 light years in diameter, in, in diameter about 587,000 trillion miles wide. It is one of about a million such galaxies in the optical range of our most powerful telescope. In our galaxy, there are about 100 billion stars. Let that sink in for a minute. Over 100 billion stars. The sun is one of them. A modest star burning at 6,000 degrees centigrade 
on the surface and traveling in an orbit at 155 miles per second, which means it will take about 200 million years to complete a revolution around the galaxy. Yet, they can't hear creation saying that there is a God. They see all of that, and they say, no God. They know all of that, and they still can't see it. Why is this, church? Why is this? There is only one answer, fallen, sinful creatures. They may see with their natural eyes and understand scientific facts with their natural brains, but they are spiritually blind. They have loved the creation over the creator, and by doing so, harden harden their hearts. Hear me on this, family. A hard heart will always result in eyes that are always seeing but never understanding. Ears that are always hearing but never truly hearing. And you should understand this because seeing will harden your heart in such a way that you can't see the glory of God. You can't see it. It could be clear as day. That's why when we deal with people who are stuck in sin, they are so unreasonable because sin hardens your heart so much you cannot be reasoned with. No matter how much facts we stack to the ceiling, it doesn't matter if your heart is hard. Do you hear the sky talking, church? Or have you become too consumed with you that you can't hear it? I can't imagine anything more insulting to God than to look at creation and conclude that he doesn't exist. It is like mommy and daddy in the kitchen preparing a meal for their children. And they set the dinner table nice and neat for their lovely children who are upstairs playing. The kids run to this table and they begin to enjoy this lovely meal. And as they enjoy this lovely meal... They say, as far as I'm concerned, my mommy and daddy doesn't exist. God doesn't exist while we... It is the same when we look at creation and say that God doesn't exist while we enjoy all that he has made. Uh, Be careful not to enjoy the creation and forget the creator. Slow down. Pause. Look. Soak in what it is saying. Not only does the sky talk... But its talk is everywhere. It is universal. There is no escaping it, right? Some of you men may understand, you know, when your wife is nagging, you're trying to escape. No, I'm messing around. Let me me not go there. Let me me not go there for I be dead creation up here. (laughs) The second observation is in verses 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth in their words to the end of the world. So here we see that creation doesn't speak verbally. Now, if we were to go down to verse 7 of this chapter, we'll see that, that David does enjoy the verbal revelation of God, which is given to you in the form of of the Bible, but we're not talking about special revelation, we're talking about general revelation. So understand that that creation conveys a visual communication to us on, uh, on what God is like. 
So we're not talking about a fairy tale here. We're not talking about Pocahontas or Pinocchio. I'm not saying that you go out there and a tree is going to talk to you. If you go out there and do that, they're going to put you in a very special place, okay? So don't go and do that, all right? In other words, it is more like when you look at the skyline of Chicago, and this is this is what we had an opportunity to see as we're getting ready to fly back into Chicago and we're looking at the skyline. And what are the towers commuting, communicating to us visually? They are communicating to us that there is a builder. Although we never seen the builder, the building testifies that there is a builder and it tells us something about the builder. It's that he has an awesome mind, architectural mind. And in fact, we communicate with each other often with pictures. We're not foreign to visual communication. In fact, this generation, if you write us a paragraph, we are going to send you a modern-day Egyptian hieroglyphic writing called emoji. And I'm just waiting and anticipating on the day for an emoji translation of the Bible because I know that it is coming. And, and we're going to look up. What are you reading? I'm reading the EV. What's the EV, brother? The EV. That's the emoji version. Okay, it's about this small. It is coming because we do not like to use words. Everything that we do is visual, picture after picture. And we can clearly see this in our generation. Things to communicate how we feel. The younger generation, we love and only care about what is on the surface. We fall in love with what we can see at first glance. And our eyes have been weakened by temporal, flattering, glimmering, picture-me-perfect kind of things. Everybody's doing this about us. If, if I want you to believe that I'm cute and, and everything is well with my life, that's what I'm going to put on social media. I just wish some of y'all would block people who really know you. That's all. That's all I'm asking for is that some of y'all, I know, let me let that sink in for a minute because some of y'all are mad right now at me. Although culture has encouraged us to embrace visual learning, it has taught us to be passive visual learners so that we believe everything we see and by doing so they control us which is why I want us to sharpen our scene so that you might use general revelation to lead others to special revelation. Let me explain. If creation is screaming the glory of God, you always have at hand something to use in order to convey to unbelievers that there is a God. And as we convey, as we use things as simple as a spider web, I was once tangled in sin. And, 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 and poisoned with the venom of sin. But Jesus delivered me and untangled me from sin. It is simple. It is all around us. And if we learn to use creation to convey the gospel, God can use it at any given moment in your life, church. So many of us wonder, how can I convey the gospel? I'm not very articulate. I don't know this. I don't know this. It's very simple, church. God has given us just saying the visual as a means to convey truth to unbelievers. David is saying the visual testimony is so strong that although they don't speak, their visual speech can lead us to seek after God. The cool thing about general revelation is it is everywhere, as we see in verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. 
When Paige and I made it down to Key West, on our third day, we ran into a young lady, and she encouraged us to go on this cruise called Commotion on the Ocean. I was like, this must be a rat boat. I don't know what it is. I was like, commotion on the, never mind. Um, But anyway, she said, you got to go to commotion on the ocean. And the reason why she encouraged us to go is because she said the setting sun on the Atlantic Ocean is amazing. So we quickly paid that money to go on this cruise. And as we're out on the vast ocean, uh, I couldn't help but think we just left a hotel with a man-sized pool. And now here's God's pool. And this pool is pretty big and breathtaking, right? And so anyways, as we're on this cruise, uh, people are dancing. They're out at the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, does anybody hear the voice of creation right now? Screaming at us that there is a God as they were enjoying his creation and being typical millennials, as soon as the sun began to set, we took out our phones, we began to take pictures, and you know it was on Snapchat, Facebook, and everything else before we even got back to shore. But I wondered, what is it in the human soul that draws us to beauty that would cause us to pay $60 a piece to see two hours of God's creation? What is it in us that allow us to enjoy creation while simultaneously ignoring its creator? I wondered, did anyone on that boat ask, wow, the sky is big. Maybe I'm not as big as I think I am. Did anyone ask, what is beyond the skies? Wow, the sky is beautiful. Did someone design all this beauty? Is he watching me? Does he know all my thoughts, even the ones that no one else does? This Atlantic is over 27,000 feet deep. Who is this God? What if he's angry with me? What does he want me to do while I'm living on earth? Because here's the reality. No matter if you leave Indiana and go to the shores of the Atlantic, creation is still shouting at us. No one can escape the voice of creation. It is because of this very reason the entire earth is condemned and no one can say that they didn't know that there was a God. Don't take my word for it. Because Paul in Romans, as he is giving his indictment on creation, as he is condemning all of humanity, articulates for us, once again, why we are condemned. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things he has made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, watch this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. The weight of judgment coming on this world. People know God. Yet they do not honor him as God. They are without excuse. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
In Proverbs, it says, anyone says there is no God, he is a fool, a colossal fool. Be careful. And what did they do? Exchange the glory of God, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, Paul is saying that instead of desiring God above all things, they said, we don't want you, God. We want our cruise on the Atlantic. That's more satisfying than you. When the Atlantic is there to point you to the creator, not say, come to me. That's not what the Atlantic is saying. It is saying that there is a God. Bottom line issue is fallen humanity desires the creation but hates the creator. And we want creation is in place to point your heart back to God. And we wonder why we live in the richest country in the world and take the most depression pills. We wonder why we have access and power to enjoy most of creation but stress out every day. Because our souls are not made ultimately for created things. You can try all the men you want, and at the end of the day, you are going to be empty. You can run, take all the, all the riches you want, and at the end of the day, you are going to be empty. You can take all the cruises and lay out on all the beaches you want, and you will never, 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 never be satisfied, ever. Why? Because you were not made for creation. You were made for your creator. Creation was made for us to experience it and point us back to God. None of us was designed to give, creation was not designed to give you everlasting joy. It was made to point you to the one that gives you everlasting joy. Let me say that again. Creation was not made to give you everlasting joy. If you're trying to do that, it's futile. Stop it. But in everlasting joy. So no matter how long you flirt and sleep with sin that is abuse his creation, milking it for another drop of thrill, you will see that the words of one theologian is true. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And oh, how many of us things, no matter how many to the knowledge and the truth, that no matter how much we ran after things, no matter how many things we tried to possess, they were never sufficient enough to satisfy our souls. How many of us can testify this morning that our hearts were restless and one day a Savior came and turned our restless hearts to him and gave us peace and joy that we never thought of? You don't know the rest that God gives into you come into relationship with him. You don't know the power of the gospel until you come into relationship with Jesus, the creator. And that sin that was gripping your life, that sin that chained you, when Jesus enters the heart, it got to come off of you. Sin cannot resist the power of God Almighty. And when he comes in, not only does he just come, he comes to give us rest. Which leads me to my next point. Creation is telling us God is satisfying. 
Let's go back up to verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation is speaking out to us the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here in verse 1, we get the main idea. We get the big picture on what's on the IMAX screen called creation. Creation is in place to show off the glory of God. Here's the question. Dexter, what is glory? What is glory? Glory is the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. Glory is when who God is goes public. It is when God reveals to humanity who he is, the weight of who he is. Oh, if we would feel the weight of his glory every Sunday morning, we would fall on our faces. God is weighty. If God was to download everything about himself in your brain, it would blow up. You could not contain all there is to know about this eternal God. He is infinite. So creation is a reflection or picture of the glory of God to some degree. So the heavens are telling the glory of God by reflecting to some degree what God is like. So let me make sure you understand that. The way that creation tells the glory of God is that it reflects to some degree what God is like, which is why you were created, which I'll get to in a moment. If there's one thing creation declares about God, it is that God is. Let me say it this way. God absolutely is. There is nothing foundational to life than the fact that God is. God is the absolute reality and all other realities exist because he declares they exist. If God in his eternal mind ever decided for you not to exist, you would disappear in a moment. One magazine said had the, the audacity to ask, is God dead? If God was dead, there'll be nothing. We'll all go away. The floor will give way. The seats will begin to give way. We'll fall apart if there is no God. God is. If the incomprehensible fact that God is ceases to be true, we would cease to exist. Church, feel the weight of the glory of God. Because if he never came into being, that means he will always be. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Because he is, he doesn't need us or the rest of creation for anything. God is self-sufficient. He is independent. He is not needy. Before any of us was here, he was here all alone. Moses, Moses grew up in a society, a polytheistic society. They believed in many gods. And so when he came to the burning bush and he said, go to my people, Moses. Moses says, sent you. Should I tell him, sent you? Because there's a thousand gods around here. Tell him I am that I am, sent you. The one who is before all things. All the other gods were just false gods. They were just jokers. But now I'm sending the real thing. I'm the real deal. I was before anything else. Because he is. He is immutable. He is consistent in his being in his perfection, in purposes, in promises. He is not like us. 
shifting every second. And many of you know you got a lot of your mama will leave life. Your job is shifty. Your boyfriend is shifty. Your wife is shifty. Your mama will leave you. But God is not shifty. I'm so thankful that there's a God who doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And to make it even better, he's the same right now in this very second. He's still God and he will always be God. Church, your God is infinite. He is not subject to human limitations. He is exceedingly far greater than anything we can ever crave. Psalm 92 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting is God. So you said, what does all this lofty truth have to do with my life? If you knew how foundational this was to your life that God is, if you understood the immutability of God, your world wouldn't fall apart every time your job gives way and your wife gives way and your money gives way and your 401k gives way. If you knew how foundational this was, you would still be praising him as God. If you knew the internality of God, that he will always be, you wouldn't fear man. You wouldn't be finding your identity and how many likes you get on Facebook and how many people watch your Snapchat video. You wouldn't fear death because as long as he is, I'm going to be all right. Human beings are part of God's creation, all of us in this room. White, black, Latino, Asian. Whatever category you want to put yourself in, not so black, not so white, whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> there are 7 billion humans on this planet. And all 7 billion are created in the image of God. And creates an image to do. It gives a picture of the real thing. So God created 7 billion images to reflect his glory. Are you starting to get the picture yet? God didn't create you because he needed someone who would love him. God doesn't create out of need. He is sufficient. He has that already in the Trinity. You are created to showcase his glory, all seven billion of us. Feel that. You're not the point or the center of the universe. None of us. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. So when man says, how can there be no other species of life out there? All this space, and it is huge, we have yet to see the endless reaches of space. Surely God didn't create all this space just for us. The answer is, maybe God created it so that when we look out at space, we will realize that it's not about us, that he didn't create the universe because of you. But for his own glory. Some people got a problem with that. You know what I do? If you got a problem with me in my house, you can get out, which is a good reason why I'm not God. Because I'll see you out of space with no astronaut suit on. No, I'm just fine. Here's what we, we need to see and feel, Bethel Gary. This is what we need to feel and see in this place. 
God is the most important being in reality in the universe. And not only in the universe, he needs to be the most important being in our gathering. Before there was a you and I, it was just him. He was simply there. None before him or behind him, over him, under him, nothing. So when your children ask, Mommy, Daddy, where did God come from? You should say, God didn't come from anywhere. He just was and is and will always be. Sweetie, that's what makes him God. He spoke, let there be light, and light came out of him at 186,000 miles per second. God spoke and every star in the universe came into being. There are more stars, stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on every beach in the world. He knows all of them by name and it doesn't give him a migraine at all. He knows every blood cell in here, boom, head on every hair in this room. He knows the temperature of every body in this room, and it doesn't give him the slightest headache. It's easy for him. He upholds all things from galaxies to subatomic particles and control all winds from storms to hurricanes to cyclones to typhoons to monsoons to tornadoes. If there be no God, there is no creation. However God is, and he has seen fit that you exist. And there are a few things outside of the Bible that can remind you of your creator like the creation. So I want to slow us down here because I really want us to utilize this tool called creation. Because often we go about our daily lives and we just don't slow down. I was reading this one preacher and he, he was giving his testimony about reading the book of Job. And uh, as he was reading the book of Job, he realized that Job was astonished about rain. Now, when was the last time were you astonished about rain? Most of us hate it when it rains. But Job was, was absolutely astonished about rain. Look at this in Job 5, 8 through 10. He says, but as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great in unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. Can we slow down and praise God for rain? We take rain for granted. But, but have you truly thought through rain? Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Where does rain come from? Rain comes from the sky. Water will come out of clear blue sky. Hmm. Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky in, in uh, Job's day from the Mediterranean Sea over 700 miles and then poured out from the sky onto the field. Carried? How much does that weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be over 27 million cubic feet of water which is over 206 million gallons, which is over, over a, a, a billion and a half pounds of water. So here it is. He's analyzing. Okay, rain. All that rain. How did God get that up there? That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there? It's so heavy. Well, it gets up there by evaporation, really. What's, what's that word? And what does that mean, evaporation? It means that the water sorts of stop being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's that? 
The word 001 centimeter, and by gathering around little dust particles between 0.0001 and 0.001 centimeters wide. Well, that's small. But what about the salt? What do you mean salt? Well, there's salt in the Mediterranean Sea. That would kill the crops, wouldn't it? So what about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, really? So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea and takes out the salt and then carries it for 300 miles and dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it. If, if it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops, and they have, they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. Well, how do all the microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall? If that's the way you ask the question, well, it's called, uh, what's that? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger and bigger. And then they are big enough, they fall just like that. Well, not exactly, because they would have to just bounce off each other instead of joining. If there was no electric field present, and we could just stop right there because I can go on and on and on about the greatness of God in something as simple as rain. He is mighty. And when you gaze on his power in something as simple as rain, you stop your soul as it is opened up to the greatness of who he is. And you draw to mind Calvary, and you imagine this, that that same God who makes rain died for you. And you say, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me, that the creator should die for the creation? It is absolutely amazing. It is incomprehensible. It is breathtaking. Words cannot express the magnitude of what it is for this God who creates stars to die for wretched sinners who do not think about him. Feel the weight of God. He didn't have to die. But he laid it down. And part of what will stir your affections for the gospel is a deep understanding of creation. When you draw up the thought of his hand and how powerful he truly is, and his head hung on you, and you draw up the thought of his hand stretched, and his head hung on your behalf, I can't help but to give him glory. When I think about the creator displaying on the cross the magnitude of his love, I realize I ain't got nothing to worry about. When I realize that the foundation of my life is rooted in the fact that he loves me, there is nothing that can hit me, that can destroy me. Because as long as he is, I'm going to be all right. My kids may be falling apart. My life may be falling apart. But if we can understand the magnitude of creation. Now, all that is fine and dandy. In a minute, we are going to worship here. But church, I believe if we truly understand the greatness of who he is and that this world is about him, we 
truly stop living for ourselves. We must admit that it has become easy for us to engulf in ourselves. When I was in Key West, I received news that two young men that we've been ministering to for the past three years were murdered. And my heart broke in that moment. But I quickly realized the importance of what we're doing here. What can you do? Will your life look like one that has been about you? Or will it be a life that has been lived unto him? After service, we have what we're calling Family Sunday. In the commons area, there are several ministries out there. We've even asked outside ministries to come in as well. And the reason why is because we desire to be a people beyond these four walls. We want to love on our community because we believe that we serve the creator. My encouragement to you this morning is to think and give thought to what God would have you to do. So after service, my prayer is that you would slow down and you would visit the tables out there and say, God, how can I serve? And not only that, we want to stay together and we want to love and fellowship with one another. 